Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Sarah Cliff is no longer with us on the weed, so I've been really missing the opportunity to sort of wonk out about healthcare. I was really excited to sit down with Jessica Schubel from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. She's an expert on Medicaid, a really important uh, weeds-friendly healthcare program that there are a lot of changes happening to in the Trump era. We had a really great conversation I think you could learn a lot from. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias. My guest today is Jessica Schubel. She is a senior policy analyst at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, favorite think tank of mine, a lot of great stuff out there. And and, uh, Jessica focuses on Medicaid, uh, which is a a very important program and is going to explain it all to us. This has been big. You know, the the Trump administration has done a lot on Medicaid, uh, waivers, things like that. That's like what I want to talk about. But I think it's important for people to understand like what what are we even talking about here? So I'm going to ask like a like a really basic question. Like what what is Medicaid? I'm uh, happy to answer that. So just to make sure everybody knows, Medicaid is the health insurance program for low-income people. So I want to establish that uh, right. right off the get-go. It's different from Medicare, which is the program for the elderly. And so Medicaid covers over 75 million people. I don't think people realize that half of half of the population is actually kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And another important um, factoid of Medicaid is that it's the primary payer for long-term services and support. So when your grandparents are in the nursing home, they are on Medicaid. Um, As I was talking a little bit earlier ago, when my grandmother was uh, in the nursing home, uh, she swore up and down that she wasn't on Medicaid, but um, actually Medicaid covers long-term care. And that's that's what's called the, the dual eligible population, right? That's, That's the right. like wonk speak. Yeah. For wonks, uh, yeah, you for the elderly, um, folks can be both Medicare eligible and also Medicaid eligible. But so so Medicaid uh, comes into existence in the mid-60s, like at the same time as Medicare. They don't just have similar names. That's right. They share the same birthday, which actually was celebrated last year. They're 54 years old. Um, and uh, initially, it was created um, really targeted for low-income Americans. Um, and as we've seen over the course of um, its history, there's been kind of mini coverage expansions along the way. Um, you know, kids' coverage uh, in Medicaid was slightly expanded. Then we went to pregnant women, 
parents and then with the Affordable Care Act, now adults. Right. So so the way Medicare works is like there's a federal program. Uh, you get eligible for it by being old. Mm-hmm. And it's the same wherever you go. Right. Right. So Medicaid is not like the whole point of this waivers conversation is Medicaid is not like that. So how how, how is it set up? Yeah, there's a uh, an adage around uh, in the Medicaid uh, wonk sphere is um, saying that uh, if you've seen one Medicaid program, you've seen one Medicaid program. Uh-huh. So there's two guarantees with Medicaid. Um, you mentioned that it's a joint federal-state partnership. Um, the first guarantee is coverage. So if you're eligible for it, you get it. Uh, and for states, um, they're guaranteed federal dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the t- the two guarantee prong, if you will, with Medicaid. The feds set up a core standard benefit package and a standard eligibility kind of rubric that states have to follow. Okay. Um, but within that, states have a lot of options to design uh, their programs that you know, best fits the needs of their state. So you can be more or less generous in terms of your benefits and also more or less generous in terms of your eligibility. Right. But there is a floor and that's the that's what you have to meet in order to get your your what we call the federal match, which is um, a portion of um, Medicaid spending that the feds kick in. But but the reason you might be well, I mean, I guess there's more than one reason you might be more generous than the minimum, but like you would get more matching federal dollars if you contributed more state dollars, right? Not necessarily. I mean, the way that it the formula set um, annually and states get between 50 and 76 percent of the of the costs. Um, but what you would get more is if you covered more people I see. like Medicaid expansion. If you know, you'd see more f- f- more federal dollars if you added a new eligibility group, for example. OK, so what kind of variance like do we see in in practice? Like what's a what's a generous state looking like or in terms of coverage, right? Like like who who is eligible in a in a sort of a, a big expansion state versus a narrow one? Sure. So um, you know, in now with the Affordable Care Act, um, every state has the option to expand Medicaid to adults up to 138% of the poverty. In plain English, that's $17,000 a year. Unfortunately, you know, there's 14 states that haven't taken that up. I'm a district resident, so I'm gonna say that include DC in my count here. So if you're counting, there's 51 states. So 37 states have uh, expanded Medicaid so far. So since the enactment of the Affordable Care Act, I think when you look at a more progressive state that's expanded eligibility, you have to look at kids and pregnant women. And generally they um, are at a higher income level than, um, you know, Kind of like the moderate level income, if sure. You okay, so so this is like classic U.S. welfare policy design. Children are maybe held blameless for the economic circumstances in which they find themselves. Mm-hmm. So the program has traditionally covered a wider scope of of children than it has of of adults, and then pregnant women are at a sort of I don't know how you want to put it, but, you know, it's it's like an interface yep. between children and adults, right? right. Uh, there's a, like, understanding that if you want to take care of kids, you have to take care of their mothers while they're pregnant. That's right. So what kind of, uh, like, like what, was the, what was the history of that? How did that come in? Well, as you said, when the, the program started in 1965, it really focused on, you know, kids, um, low-income families like moms. But then it expanded to pregnant women and higher-income pregnant women is kind of over the years how things have, have progressed. 
Um, and, you know, they get the standard set of benefits. Mm -hmm. um, Medicaid is actually the gold standard when it comes to kids' coverage, um, provides screen, screenings, uh, vaccines, treatment. Um, so if a kid goes in and uh, has a vision exam and needs glasses, Medicaid pays for both the exam and the glasses. And I think what's really interesting um, for me anyways is that Medicaid um, is in little corners of the world that I don't think people realize. Hmm. And schools is actually one of those corners. Um, but if Medicaid, um, if there's a Medicaid enrolled kid in school, mm -hmm. needs uh, a vision screening or maybe needs some speech therapy or physical therapy in order to, to learn, Medicaid pays for that. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. so some of the sort of healthcare services that are offered in uh, school districts are actually being covered by Medicaid services. Yeah, I mean, not to get well into the weeds. No, Let's pun, do it. We're no here. pun intended. Special education isn't uh, funded as robustly as it should, and so uh, Medicaid helps schools actually kind of spread the special education dollars more because they are paying for healthcare services as part of a child's special education uh, program. Okay, so so with regard to children and pregnant women, you're saying a, a more progressive state will have a higher income cutoff uh, to try to make sure that you have, like, as few as possible uninsured children. Right. I mean— a there's also really good evidence that shows that kids covered by Medicaid when they're in, in during childhood are more likely to graduate high school, more likely to graduate college, uh, have better health as adults, mm -hmm. uh, more likely to have a better paying job, pay more in taxes. So there's mm -hmm. benefits into, as you were saying, making sure that kids and pregnant women have um, the coverage they need. And so one of the sort of like stylized facts about health insurance in the universe is that covering children is on average, relatively cheap, right? I mean, I mean, obviously, there are some children with very, very serious mm -hmm. healthcare needs. But typically, when we talk about giving healthcare coverage to a child, we're talking about doing annual checkups and vaccines and giving them vision tests. And it, it's stuff that it has a lot of benefits, but isn't necessarily like super costly. Right. It's kind of um, uh, a cheap investment, if you if you will. You, you know, make sure kids have the vaccines so they're not getting, you know, measles, um, have the, the glasses that they need so they can read. Um, and that's just going to make them healthier um, adults that are able to go to college and get a good paying job. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of a cheap investment in their long-term development. But this is not what the, the ACA expansion that's debate right. is about. That's about Childless, I guess, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a child or not. It's just you are an adult. I mean, so many benefits, right, like housing assistance, food assistance. It's like if you want to help children, you have to give it on a family level. But medical care is right. not like that, right? Like you can actually pay for the kids' doctor visits, but not mom and dad. Right, exactly. And so I think that's what was so amazing with the Affordable Care Act is that it was actually, if you want to think about it, the first kind of step towards universal coverage. We were laying down the framework for covering, um, you know, every low-income American through Medicaid. Right. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we still have a little ways to go with those 14 states um, that need to expand. So it's it's 14 states, and, and that includes—so Texas and Florida are the biggest, right? That's right. And so that's like a – do you know, like, how much of the uninsured population in the U.S. is accounted for by this sort of, like, lack of Medicaid expansion? So with those – so there's 2 million um, people that would gain coverage um, if states would um, um, expand Medicaid. And um, Florida and Texas 
make up the majority of those folks. Okay, right, right, yeah. right. So, so that's sort of the the, the big thing there. Okay, um, so then what's this the piece with the elderly and and long term care? Because so far we're describing it's a program for low income people. Yeah, it covers more children in some states. It's now covering poor adults. But like, what's yeah. what's up with the old folks? Yeah, I think just to kind of take a step back, also I should have mentioned earlier the way I think about Medicaid is it's um, provides coverage at every stage of life. Right? We just talked about kids. You know, when you're pregnant, you get coverage. When you're um, you know before the ad of the or enactment of the Affordable Care Act, you had to be a parent, but it covered some adults, right? Mm-hmm. Now all adults are eligible. And then at the end stage of life, right, when you're elderly, um, it covers the nursing home care um, aspect of it. And there's really cool options that states have to provide long-term care in people's homes and communities. And there's lots of evidence that show that people want to stay in their homes as long as possible mm-hmm. and actually do better in their homes. Mm-hmm. In 2013, the Medicaid program hit a milestone where um, it spent actually more money on community-based long-term care than in nursing homes. Hmm. So that's a big a big step. And so a lot of the people with the long-term care benefits are people who you might consider to be sort of middle class, right? Right. And Medicaid's there to help um, folks um, you know, who are maybe making a little bit more money during their kind of working years, but they um, have programs where um, if a, a spouse, for example, needs to go into the nursing home, the, the spouse that's uh, still at home, um, you know, isn't going to become um, destitute, you know, by, pay, you know, paying all these long-term care bills, which are very expensive. Okay. So what is the, the like, concept of the waiver? In this landscape, right? Because so far we're describing, I don't know, like America's weird. We have a lot of state, federal kind of matching things. Uh, But, you know, it makes sense. Like there's money available. States have some flexibility about eligibility Mm -hmm. and and, and benefit design. Um, what, what, What is a waiver? Yeah. So going back to what I talked to you about earlier that, you know, the federal government sets kind of the floor in terms of benefits and standards. And there's obviously federal law, you know, that requires certain things to be covered and people. Um, And so what a waiver is, is uh, uh, allows states to kind of break the law in a way and do something different. But, you know, one of the legal standards in approving a waiver is that it has to further the objectives of the Medicaid program. Mm -hmm. And the central tenant of Medicaid is to cover low-income people and provide coverage. So so what kind of minimums are we are we talking about? Like what's the what's the issue here? So in terms of um, eligibility, um, what we're seeing now is that the Trump administration is using waivers to take coverage away from people. So we've been seeing work requirements, for mm-hmm. example. And um, you know, there's been some uh, opt- optimistic news um, in the sense that um, recently um, the courts have uh, vacated these work requirement waivers in Arkansas, Kentucky, and New Hampshire. But it unfortunately was a little too late for about 18,000 people in Arkansas because they lost coverage. Okay, but so what's a... so? Uh, it sounds like you're not in favor of this. <laughs> but like what... what Let's can can you paint a picture of like what's a what's a reasonable waiver request? Like sure. how how does it further the goals of the Medicaid program to say you can go below the minimum benefit level? 
Well, I think that's the the million dollar question that's being decided and and argued in court. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my perspective is that uh, a good waiver, a waiver that furthers the objectives, is actually expanding coverage. Uh-huh. Um, and a good example of this is historically before the Affordable Care Act, um, states would use these waivers to expand coverage to uh, low income adults um, that are now being served by the Medicaid expansion. Hmm. So states like Arizona, New York, Massachusetts, um, Wisconsin would all um, use these waivers to expand to, um, you know, adults, to low-income adults that don't have kids. What what would you need to get waived to be able to, to do that? Um, it's actually kind of a, a very wonky thing. It's sure. um, There's two components of waivers. One is that you're waiving federal law, essentially mm-hmm. allowing states to not comply with certain provisions of Medicaid law. And the second component is authorizing um, healthcare costs that wouldn't otherwise be Medicaid reimbursable. So okay. because before the Affordable Care Act, low-income adults weren't generally eligible for Medicaid, um, you needed special authority to authority for a state to say like, hey, can I have some, you know, federal dollars for covering these uh-huh. folks? And I mean, I guess if you, you know, if like the um, the, the the leftists take over the state legislature somewhere and say, we want to take like another run mm-hmm. at a single payer health care system, mm-hmm. like they're going to want to try to get some of the, I mean, they're going to have to raise taxes and like do a whole ring thing, but like they're going to want to try to get some federal money, right? And so they're going to have to have to try to write some kind of waiver? Um, you know, there's lots of smart people thinking about that. Uh, de- I guess depending on how they want to set it up, you know, Medicaid could be uh, a factor in that, like, right. in that proposal. I mean, it's like the the, the, the money—basically, though, it's like—so there's federal money that states are getting, and right. if you want to do something with health care, like, you're, you're going to at least want to try to get more money. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And the other thing that going back to your initial question about like what's a good waiver, um, there's really cool things that states are doing to, you know, improve health and lower costs through delivery system reform efforts. And, you know, there's states like New York and California that are trying to do different payment arrangements to incentivize providers to provide, you know, better care at lower costs. And so, you know, that's kind of in my mind what a what a good waiver is. So so what what it what what does that mean? That's like a standard setup is like there's a list of procedures and they all have some, you know, payment level that yep. you get for it and it doesn't matter like you know, if it works or or whatever well, else. Well, in, in terms of like a, a kind of more traditional Medicaid yeah. program, yeah, states have flexibility to set their payment rates at, you know, whatever level that they um, decide. But I think the key thing to, to remember with that is that they have to be um, at a high enough level to ensure access. Right. And I think, um, you know, what's really disturbing um, recently is that the Trump administration actually um, rescinded a rule um, that was finalized in 2015 that would make sure um, these provider rates um, are set high enough to ensure access for folks. Okay, right. So, right. This is, this is what we're talking about. So you have um, private insurance usually pays so much for things. Medicare usually pays a lower rate than mm-hmm. than that and mm-hmm. takes advantage of the fact that it's really big. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Medicaid 
it, it varies from state to state, but but the rates are lower than Medicare rates. And a lot of doctors, like relatively few providers can afford to turn away Medicare clients, mm-hmm. even though they're taking a discount. But like the Medicaid rates get so stingy that some providers will turn them down. Well, I think one point I just would like to argue with. Let's argue. <laughs> Is that 70% of doctors actually do accept Medicaid patients. Okay. So this idea that, um, you know, Medicaid patients aren't, you know, don't have access to doctors is unfounded. Um, But yes, you're right. Um, Medicaid does set their payment rates, um, you know, a little bit lower than than Medicare and, and definitely commercial coverage. Right. But you were saying, right, I mean, a state could... Or maybe there was a 2015 rule to say, okay, you have to set it high enough Mm -hmm. that – I don't know how that worked, but I assume it's like some percentage of providers are going to – Take it or yeah, it was set actually set at um, kind of like the the access to services that we were that you know mm-hmm. states had to make sure that their rates you know and that access for those particular services were sufficient that people you know no you know had access to these providers. So now one stingy option would be to like keep all the eligibility rules the same, but just keep putting the rates down lower and lower, and sort of who cares. Well, lower and lower to the extent that, um, you know, I would hope CMS would, you know, look at these and say, hey, this seems weird and, um, you know, it doesn't seem like these rates are high enough to ensure that people can actually find a doctor to go see. Uh Okay, let's take a break. And then when we come back, I want to dive into uh, Medicaid waivers and, and work requirements. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media. Pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context. And it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot-button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. 
Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Let's talk about work requirements. Okay. Because um, this has been the, the hot topic, I think. Um, so which, which, states, which states have done this? So there are six states um, that have uh, waivers, um, uh, approvals that I mentioned, Arkansas, New Hampshire, and Kentucky. Those are kind of set on the side. Um, Arizona has a work requirement waiver, as does Utah, um, Wisconsin, and Indiana. Okay. And so what is the, the, the idea of this is that it will get people to work? That um, apparently is the idea, um, but there's actually evidence um, recently that from um, some Harvard researchers um, that took a look at the um, situation in Arkansas and said, actually, we don't see any uh, impact on employment. But what we are seeing is a, is, um, a higher rate of uninsured folks in Arkansas. And right. That makes sense since 18,000 people lost coverage. Right. So so they lost coverage because they – so we're talking about people who are not working, had been enrolled in Medicaid, and now they lost coverage and they were not suddenly inspired to go – to go get jobs? Well, I think I, I kind of want to unpack that in a couple of ways. Let's do it. The first one is that the majority of Medicaid beneficiaries are, in fact, working. Right. So the the reason for 18,000 people losing coverage has to be more than, than just, you know, people not working, choosing not to work, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be in that number, there's people that are working um, but didn't meet um, the threshold. So in Arkansas, people have to work 80 hours a month to maintain their coverage. So think about someone that may have seasonal employment, mm-hmm. right? Um, or just might be working at a store or a restaurant and their hours fluctuate and they just in that given month, just didn't make the 80-hour threshold. Mm-hmm. So they're in that 18,000 group. They're working, just not 80 hours mm-hmm. for that month. The second bucket of people are people that should be exempt from work requirements. So think about folks that have a chronic condition that makes work just not possible mm-hmm. um, or a disability or might be suffering from substance use disorder. They have to get an exemption. But You know, there's lots of red tape, um, and I was actually reading a really interesting article up um, in the Concord Monitor up in New Hampshire where the woman was trying to get, um, you know, an exemption from her primary care doctor, and they said, sorry, you need to go to to your neurosurgeon to get it. And the neurosurgeon said, no, you have to go to your primary care doctor. Uh So there's lots of red tape, um, and people are getting caught up um, in that, the people that should get exempt from the work requirement. Right. So, I mean, if you're, like, I don't know if you're in addiction recovery and you're having trouble getting a job and you need medical treatment to mm-hmm. try to get better, right. work on your feet. For for all those same reasons, you might also struggle to like get it together, exactly, and get all your forms done, exactly. And in, and it also extends the third bucket of folks that I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. is people that are working, but we're just really confused about what happens with uh, how to report their hours. Um, there's a um, a perfect example of this. Um, a gentleman um, in Arkansas, Mr. McGonagall, had a job, but also had COPD, which is a respiratory disease, and needed medicine in order to you know function and go to work. He works 80 hours a month, reported it one month, and thought he was good to go. Didn't need to do any more reporting you know, in any subsequent 
month. But in fact, you have to report each month. He just didn't realize that. Okay, so it, well, that's actually fascinating. So it's so it's like a month to month thing where like each month you come and say, "Hey, I'm still working." Right. And in his case, I mean, it's fascinating, but heartbreaking at the same time, because he went to the pharmacy to pick up his medicine. Pharmacist said, hey, sorry, your uh, Medicaid coverage is no longer effective. And do you want your medicine? But of course, it's really expensive. So he said no um, and ended up missing a lot of work and lost his job. So it's the exact opposite of this premise that, you know, somehow working will, um, you know, help you get coverage. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, when you think about policies, right, you can you can sort of describe them in the abstract, uh, but they're not self-executing. Right. right. So like, um, you know, the other week I got an angry phone call from my bank because there had been like an auto debit of my electrical bill and my balance had gone below zero. And like, but like I, I wasn't actually out of money, right? Mm-hmm. But I had just like messed up. Right. I had forgotten which account this thing was from. I'd forgotten where I paid a credit card bill off from. And the money was in the wrong right. thing, right? And so, you know, is bad. I got a, you know, my, my bank yelled at me. I think they charged me $5. Uh, but it's not the end of the world, mm-hmm. right? I didn't lose healthcare for a month because I had messed this up. Well, what's worse in Mr. McGonagall's case is he didn't lose healthcare for just a month. He lost it for the rest of the year. Right. Oh, wow. So um, he couldn't get, you know, back onto coverage until January, um, you know, and the, he lost uh, coverage at some point during the fall. So it was more than just a month of of coverage loss. Mm-hmm. And so wh- where does this come from? Like, what was the 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 idea? Like, like wh- what what are state governments that are doing this trying to respond to? Um, quite frankly, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I think it's just this political ideological idea that um, of of personal responsibility. But, you know, as I said, you know, work requirements aren't showing that there's been an increase in uh-huh. employment in, you know, in Arkansas, um, where they have actually been implemented. So, I mean, this goes back to sort of old disputes in, in American welfare policy, right, that is something we, we've talked about on, on other episodes of The Weeds is, you know, there used to be uh, Aid to Families with Dependent Children program. There was a lot of controversy. There was a big welfare reform. And, you know, I think the the thinking of the Clinton administration there, at least, was that there was a special politics of cash benefits, Right. And that cash benefits to non-working people were going to be politically vulnerable, but that in-kind assistance, you know, might be more sort of sustainable. Right. The idea being that nobody is like – it's like going to the doctor isn't fun. Right. So it's like, you know, you could take money and like go – I don't know what, like, you know, buy some beer. Right. Have a party. But you go to the doctor when you're sick. Mm-hmm. Primarily, right? So we can't. Be, there's no. There's no universe in which your livelihood is like getting Medicaid, right? And I think that's part of the reason that during the the late '90s, during those um, you know welfare reform period, Medicaid was actually kind of divorced from um, the other you know um, assistance programs mm-hmm. um, that help low income families, and so 
you know, I always view Medicaid as it's health insurance, mm-hmm. and we should treat it as such. Um, and, you know, imposing work requirements, um, it was unprecedented. Um, you know, actually, during the last year of the Obama administration, um, CMS the federal agency that oversees Medicaid, um, denied work requirements in Arizona and New Hampshire, saying, going back to the to the beginning, that work requirements don't further the objectives of the Medicaid program, mm-hmm. which is the standard under which, you know, the feds have to review Medicaid waiver proposals. But so then this is, even if it doesn't generate extra employment, it does save money. Right. I mean, if 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 18,000 people in Arkansas wind up losing Medicaid benefits, um, whether that's because they're not working, because of paperwork problems, because of whatever. Right. Like that's a that's a savings on the state budget. Yes. But that's 18,000 people that no longer have coverage. And so when you talk to maybe hospitals and doctors, they're now having to treat people that no longer have insurance. So their uncompensated care costs are going to rise. So it's just going somewhere else in the system, meaning that the you know hospitals and doctors are going to have to eat it because no one has coverage anymore. Right. And, and wait, just, to, just to, to be clear on this, because we were starting by talking about the sort of many universes of, of Medicaid, this is for adults. Yeah, right. we should set this set the stage here. This is for the expansion adults, so those adults without kids um, that make up to seventeen thousand dollars a year. Okay. And so, and that helps explain like what is this list of states, right? These are um, like Kentucky and Arkansas in particular, right? Are very politically conservative states that, unlike many of the other conservative states, actually did the Medicaid expansion, right? Because I I think sometimes, you know, you can hear, oh, there's this like Kentucky work requirement thing. And that's like, ah, these Kentucky politicians must be, you know, unusually evil or something. But it, it, it does actually arise out of the fact that Kentucky did the expansion, whereas like Mississippi and Alabama haven't. Like they, they, they don't even have a population they could take benefits away from. That, that's right. Yeah. They just simply haven't expanded. They're one of the 14 that have yet yet to take up this option. Kentucky and Arkansas had Democratic governors, right? When they first expanded. Right. Yep. Yep. So, so this has been like a way to do a partial walk back of that expansion. Yeah. I think particularly in Kentucky's case, um, because Kentucky was really um, the gold standard you know, in terms of um, having a great um, system that Mm -hmm. they, you know, were able to use when the Affordable Care Act took effect in January of 2014. And they did everything right. And now, you know, you're seeing kind of, as you said, a rollback of not just work requirements, but the other kind of restrictive policy that the the Trump administration is really moving forward on is hiking up premiums um, for low-income people. And so you see that in Kentucky, um, you see it in Arkansas, and some of these other, you know, red states. How does that work? So, okay, this is a government program. It's going to give you health insurance if you're poor. Right. Why would it have a premium? Well, it it generally, for most people, it it doesn't. Okay. And so this is why you need the, the waiver, right, to do something different, to break uh, kind of federal law in that, in that 
respect. Um, and so, you know, to be fair, the Obama administration did allow states to impose minimal premiums on um, on the expansion uh, population. But what we're seeing is that the Trump administration is not only charge, letting uh, states charge more, uh, but they're also charging um, even poorer people hmm. um, these premiums. So the with the Obama administration, this was part of the sort of political negotiations over expansion, if I'm remembering correctly, right. right? Like, at first, they had thought, okay, this is such a generous deal. All the states are going to do it. And also, there was this clawback provision that was supposed to really, really make them do it, right? Mm -hmm. But then the um, the Supreme Court, like, threw out the clawback thing. And then the political resistance was, I think, bigger than they had anticipated, right? Yeah, so so they came up, so they reached um, compromises in some places where they said, okay, like we will let you do some of these changes, premiums and, and stuff like that. That's right. But it was always, um, you know, the guiding star um, in the Obama administration was trying to get as many people covered as possible. And so in that, con in that context, the compromise was, okay, we'll, you know, allow you to test these new kind of models um, so long as, you know— Coverage is expanded to this right, population. Right. The, the, the push and pull was like Obama wanted states to do Medicaid expansion. Right. A lot of Republicans didn't want to do Medicaid expansion. So he was making deals. Right. I mean, Indiana, um, then Governor Pence expanded Medicaid mm -hmm. and but also, you know, kind of made a deal with the Obama administration to do um, something different. Didn't have work requirements, though, at that point. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, but so um, but the the head of CMS is so when Mike Pence brought over from Indiana. Right. Right. So what's what's happening exactly with the premiums now? Um, as I said, they're uh, just letting states charge um, higher amounts mm -hmm. um, and kind of like going down to reach um, folks further down the, the poverty line. And what happens when you do that? I mean, to some people, I guess they spend more money, the state saves or I guess collects that extra revenue. But I mean, do, do people just not? sign up? Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a robust body of research uh, that shows that premiums deter people from, you know, getting care. And so what you're seeing is people just not enrolling into the program or not going to the doctor. Um, so it, it's really not an effective tool for states' sure. use. Right. Um, but but I mean, I guess then, again, just like I'm flipping back on the politics, I mean, this is, this is the, that same tug of War, right. I mean, you have an administration that is not invested in Medicaid expansion happening, and you have that same imperative to like not expand from the non-expansion states and to and to pare it back elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I would say that a step further that the um, Trump administration not only doesn't support expansion, but they're really trying to take coverage away from people, which mm -hmm. is what we're you know seeing with the work requirements. Right, and so do now you said the. What are this kind of prospects for stopping this in, in court? I mean, I feel like the whole idea of, like, you could just waive, I don't know, like, the Great Society <laughs> programs out of existence is a little— it was like a little new to me uh, when, when this started coming up but a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I will say that not everything in the Medicaid program is up for grabs, right? So 
just to set your mind at ease. Sure. Not everything is, you know, on the table to to be, you know, waived. Um, in terms of the the litigation with the work requirements, um, as I mentioned, you know, the courts vacated the waivers in Arkansas, Kentucky, and New Hampshire. But that's like a district court? Like what, what right. Kind of court? And so the, the next round is coming up in October for oral arguments. Um, so... We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, and it, October 11th is the day, actually. So. Okay, but so this is going to—we got to see what John Roberts thinks. I would imagine that it would go up that far, yeah. Right, 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 right. Uh, and so, you know, something that you, you will read on the internet if you if you Google around is there's a, there's a conservative view that all this Medicaid stuff is like nonsense mm-hmm. and Medicaid doesn't—like actually doesn't help people. Yeah, the the claims that those folks are using, um, it's just false. Um, And there is a a robust body of evidence um, showing um, the opposite. I think, you know, um, well, personally, I was very upset to see that the Supreme Court, you know, made Medicaid expansion effectively optional. Mm -hmm. It did uh, kind of create this natural experiment, right? So we're seeing all these studies are showing what, um, the changes in states that expanded relative to those that didn't. And we're seeing that Medicaid expansion is saving lives. Um, There's a recent uh, report out that said if the 14 states had expanded, over 15,000 lives would be saved. I and, don't, I, you know, that's a pretty compelling uh, statistic. Right. Yeah, I mean, because this is so, so the, the skeptics come from this old um, thing that happened in, in Oregon, right? Where right. they... I forget exactly why it happened, but it was like they ran out of money or something. And yeah. they so they they had to randomize who was going to get Medicaid. It wasn't that they ran out of money. So they used a, a Medicaid waiver. Um, and, you know, again, going into the weeds of waivers, there is this thing called budget neutrality, okay. which means that states can't, uh, the federal government can't spend more than it would absent the waiver. Okay. And so what Oregon was trying to do was provide additional benefits to folks, but they had to stay within this budget neutrality uh, limit. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, created a prioritized list of benefits. Um, And so, um, you know, that's the study that you're referring to. But so so they they wound up doing a lottery and Mm -hmm. behind every lottery, there's a good research opportunity. Right. Um, And this one showed that there was not a like a, a change in, in health outcomes, right? That may be so, but the body of evidence that we've been seeing over the mm-hmm. past couple of years with Medicaid expansion points otherwise. We're seeing improvements in health outcomes, um, you know, reduced uh, racial disparities, particularly in cancer treatment. Hmm. Um, you know, I, one of the interesting facts that I find about Medicaid expansion is that it's actually improving people's credit scores. Hmm. Um, and that's because um, having coverage reduces medical debt and medical bankruptcy. So, mm-hmm. Improved credit scores is actually helping these, you know, low-income people um, afford mortgages and car payments. So, again, going back to Medicaid is in little corners of the world mm-hmm. that you didn't know about. Um, who knew Medicaid and mortgages were together? Yeah, I mean, I always do think that's important because even in these, these this Oregon study that I've heard of from, from conservatives, I mean, it does show that it improved the financial well-being mm-hmm. of families that got it. And if you think about insurance in general, I mean, in, insurance is a financial financial product, right? Obviously, with health insurance, like, 
ultimately the goal is to get useful medical care. Uh, but the but the financial value is not like a trivial thing that you would wave off. I mean, I think all the time I have a, a four-year-old son and, you know, like all four-year-olds, he has been to the doctor like a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. um, and I bet if you went through some like science counterfactual, you would see that it has actually not had a meaningful impact on it because because like you know god bless like he's had good fortune and mm -hmm. like hasn't had any medical problems and he's gone through all these checkups and they keep saying oh you're fine right but it's not like my fallback to having like if i'd had a less generous insurance policy if we'd had higher co-payments or higher deductibles i wouldn't have just been like that eh, no pediatrician for you i like i would have spent more more money, right? Or if I was too poor to afford it, then I might not have gone and I would have been incredibly stressed out right. all the time, right? And so it's like being able to go to a doctor when it seems appropriate and not have that bankrupt you is like a really useful thing over and above the value of treatments that, that sick people receive. Right. And to your point about having means to pay maybe a higher copayment. Um, you know, there's lots of research that shows that copays in Medicaid um, deter people from going to the doctor. Right. So it's kind of that push and pull. Do I pay my rent or do I pay for my kid's, you know, prescription? Right, right. I mean, this has been like a big, um, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like it's been a kind of like back and forth in the thinking on this. I'm like, were people over-consuming Healthcare, or you know, mm -hmm. should, should, should we let them go to it? Thanks to expansion, we now get to compare right, right. health outcomes in Arkansas versus um, Texas. Texas, yes, those are bordering states. Yes. Um, Louisiana versus Alabama, right? right? And and so and so, what 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 are we what have we what have we seen on that 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 you would really point people to? It's you know, you brought up Louisiana. They have this really great dashboard. Mm -hmm. And each month they update it and show how many people uh, got cancer screenings and how many um, averted deaths that, you know, they projected because of these uh, cancer uh, screenings, how many people now have um, access to, you know, blood pressure medicine to lower their 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 hypertension. So it's, it, we're seeing that coverage matters and coverage is actually helping people um, and improving their health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's been a sort of, um, I mean, this is, again, a big, it's a political issue in Louisiana because, again, this is a conservative state, has a Democratic governor. He's, like, trying to run for re-election, um, mm -hmm. wants to sort of sort of do it. But also, what what does it do to state finances, right? Like, I mean, I assume, like, always with, you know, programs, right, it's like, it sounds nice, but this this costs a lot of money, too. Yeah, well, as we started off the the show here, we talked about how it's a joint federal and state program. So the feds kick in a portion of the Medicaid, uh, you know, funding for Medicaid. Sure. Um, and expansion is a really great deal for states because the feds kick in 90%, much higher than like the regular uh, rate in which they, they chip in. Um, so states are just on the hook 10% of, of cost, which is not to say that it's not, you know, 
a meaningful amount of money for states. But I think what's really interesting is that we've seen expansion help state budgets. Mm -hmm. And um, one example is that um, states are able to offset costs um, from state programs that, you know, were treated um, behavioral mental health um, issues or the criminal justice system, for example. So we're in schools, as I was talking about earlier. So we're seeing that um, Medicaid and Medicaid expansion are really help is helping state budgets um, and kind of moving the money around. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. So uh, another aspect of this that's been controversial, right, is some states, first Maine and Utah, Idaho, there were states that had done expansion on ballot initiatives, and then the governors aren't doing it. Yeah, um, it's kind of heartbreaking to see where the the will of the voters is being overturned um, by state legislatures. I think, you know, the great example you just mentioned, Utah, um, the initiative passed in November. The lawmakers, state policymakers got together during the wintertime and completely changed um, uh, and rolled back what the voters wanted. And so now we're seeing Utah only cover um, a portion of the Medicaid expansion population, which is covering 50,000 people, fewer people, um, and costing the state more money because they're not able to get that um, 90 percent, you know, federal. But so what happened there? I mean, like literally they just like got together and passed a law that overrode the 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 initiative? Yes. Huh. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um <laughs> so um I I and but and something similar had happened in, in Maine, but now they have a new governor, right? So it's right. it's all sort of moot. Day one, um Governor Mills started expansion and um they're they're moving forward. Right. Okay. So so but but before I let you go, uh, you know, I I like to ask people to come in. Um what what what, what should I have asked you here? What what did we miss here? Well, I think the one thing that we didn't talk about, although it's been a topic on your show, is the the lawsuit um that's going on in Texas that would completely overturn the Affordable Care Act. That um, is an excellent point. We didn't mention that. So if 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 I can just talk about uh, what would happen to the Medicaid, um, that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, we should remind people in case you haven't you haven't seen uh, earlier discussions of of our friend Misha's uh, lawsuit. Um, the theory here is that the Affordable Care Act contains the individual mandate, which longtime American politics fans will remember, and that. The Supreme Court ruled that the mandate was a constitutionally permissible exercise of taxing power. But then in the 2017 corporate tax cut bill, they eliminated the penalty. The the way they did it to qualify for budget reconciliation rules was they set the penalty to nothing. So the theory is with the penalty at nothing, it is no longer a tax, but it's still on the books. So it is now an unconstitutional non-tax. And also, it isn't severable from the rest of the law. So provisions that are completely unrelated go away. 
And that's where we get Medicaid. Right. And I think to your wonderful uh, explanation of uh, of the arguments here. I think many opponents of the Affordable Care Act even, they even agree that this is crazy. And the administration took the unheard of step in not defending the Affordable Care Act, a federal law, and instead is arguing that it should be overturned. Um, And I think, you know, there's kind of two two buckets that I kind of want to just talk about. One is just the impact that's going to have on people, right? I'm not kind of a private insurance marketplace person, but I will just flag that 20 million people are going to lose coverage. That includes people in Medicaid expansion and those that are buying um, coverage on uh, the Obamacare marketplaces. What, 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 what's the balance of that? Yeah, so 13 million um, are Medicaid expansion. Okay, so, so when you hear this ACA lawsuit is going to cost 20 million people insurance, that's primarily Medicaid. Pri- primarily Medicaid. Um, and it's also going to um, allow insurers to go back to denying care um, or charging people more money if they have a pre-existing condition. Sure. Um, but I think the other two components I want to flag as it relates to Medicaid people mm-hmm. um, is that it could roll back coverage for kids. Okay. And so 1.5 million kids could potentially lose their Medicaid coverage because of this. Well, the Affordable Care Act actually expanded um, eligibility for kids as part of that core eligibility requirement that states have. Um, And, you know, some of these kids might be able to be covered in other insurance programs like um, CHIP, which is the Children's Health Insurance Program. Um, That kind of sits on top of Medicaid's shoulders, if you will. But under CHIP, they have a narrow benefit package Mm -hmm. and it has higher cost sharing. So it's not as good of an option for these children as Medicaid. And the second group I want to flag are elderly Mm -hmm. and people with uh, disabilities. So the Affordable Care Act um, had a lot of different uh, programs and options for states to move towards more community-based long-term care. We talked about that earlier. And all of those options would would go away. Um, And so that would mean seniors and people with disabilities would have, um, would, would be maybe forced to uh, go back to the nursing homes for care instead of staying in their homes. And the second kind of other bucket, if you will, of, of impact that this lawsuit would have on Medicaid is that it would just create an unbelievable mess. Yes. So um, the Affordable Care Act modernized and streamlined how states do eligibility, conduct eligibility determinations in Medicaid. Um, The feds, the states uh, spent millions of dollars updating um, IT systems to to accomplish this streamlining uh, effort. Um, And if the Affordable Care Act is overturned, uh, states will have to go back to a very old and complicated way of determining Medicaid eligibility. I'm not even sure if they can you know, uh, resuscitate these old IT systems. So I'm not sure how states are going to administer their programs. So 20 million people definitely losing coverage, chaos throughout the rest of the system. Right. Anarchy, disaster. Chaos, Uh, yes. All right. Okay. Well, with that reassuring thought, um, (laughs) thank you very much, Jessica Schubel, Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Um, Thanks, as always, to our sponsors and to our producer, Jeffrey Geld. And The Weeds will be back on Tuesday.
Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.